G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. A couple of weeks ago, we told you about two cargo ships owned by a controversial Qatari shipping company called Aswan, which had been detained, one at Port Kembla and the other in remote Queensland at Weeper, because both ships were without fuel and their crews were in a life-threatening situation without food and amenities. We spoke to Ian Bray from the International Transport Federation, the ITF, who drew back the curtain on some of the most disturbing workplace practices in modern times. We follow with some reflections on the South Australian Ambulance Employees Association's campaign to end ambulance ramping in that state. But first, some union news. Greenleaf Weekly reports that after almost six weeks on strike, United Workers Union members at McCormick's in Clayton, South Melbourne, agreed on April the 7th to accept a new offer from the company which includes retaining all the conditions the company had wanted to remove and a pay rise. The UWU members took indefinite industrial action on February the 26th after not having been able to negotiate a new enterprise agreement for five years nor having been given a pay rise over that time. The company produces herbs and spices, sauces, keen mustard and aeroplane jelly. It supplies KFC with its distinctive gravy as well as sauces for McDonald, Hungry Jack's, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Red Rooster. It didn't suffer during COVID. McCormick had wanted to slash conditions including cuts to shift penalties, overtime pay and the duration of meal breaks. But after the industrial action, it came back with an offer that included all the previous conditions it had wanted to remove, including the four-day week roster, a 9% pay rise over three years and a $5,000 sign-on bonus. In a successful conclusion to a campaign that has run for well over 12 months with six months of protected action for better pay and conditions in Western Australia's offshore oil and gas industry, members of the Offshore Alliance working for Monodalifus on board the Shell Prelude floating liquefied natural gas facility have voted to endorse an enterprise agreement covering their employment. The Offshore Alliance is a formal agreement between the Australian Workers' Union and the Maritime Union of Australia in Western Australia. The newly made EA includes wage increases totalling 17% over three years, offers of permanent employment for 14 casuals, an increase in permanent pay rates, $2,300 per week, 24-7 income protection insurance, fixed rosters, travel pay, delegates' rights and training, increases in allowances, more opportunity for progression and weekly severance pay in a severance fund. Menulog, Australia's second largest food offering and delivery platform, has declared it will break with the standard gig platform business model and engage some of its couriers as employees, not independent contractors. Menulog will run a limited Sydney-based 
trial under the new agreements. The Transport Workers Union says Menu Logs Move is a watershed moment for the gig economy. By committing to pay couriers a minimum wage and superannuation, it is going further than its competitors such as Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Women's groups are pushing for the federal government to put the onus on the employers to take action to prevent workplace sexual harassment amid dismay at the Commonwealth's response to the Sex Discrimination Commissioner's Respect at Work report. The Coalition Federal Government agreed to 40 out of 50 recommendations, including sexual harassment becoming a form of serious misconduct and a legitimate reason to sack someone. Five recommendations have been agreed on in principle, including calls to change the fair work system to explicitly prohibit sexual harassment. One has been agreed to in part with the Commonwealth stopping short of giving the Australian Human Rights Commission new powers to investigate systemic unlawful discrimination, including systemic sexual harassment. One crucial recommendation the government is yet to embrace is a proposal to amend the Sex Discrimination Act so employers have a positive duty to take reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate sex discrimination, sexual harassment and victimisation as far as possible. This would put the onus on employers to change their culture and the practices of managers rather than on victims to complain. Under the proposal, the Australian Human Rights Commission would monitor compliance and enforce the law. Keppel Prince, the sole Australian-based manufacturer of wind turbine equipment based in Portland, Victoria, recently fired 15% of its workforce after failing to secure two regional wind farm contracts. Keppel Price says about, 100, says about 150 jobs are on the line at its Portland factory unless the federal government brings in new laws to force companies to use local products when building new wind farms. The loss of contracts to the Danish company Vesta, which secured the contract to build the 218-megawatt Ryan Corner wind farm near Port Ferry in southwest Victoria, is in particular focus. Dozens of steelworkers rallied outside Vesta's Melbourne offices recently demanding a meeting to discuss the impact of the company's decision to use cheaper import components was having on the town of Portland and its workers. Australian Manufacturing Workers Union and Keppel Prince Workers went to Canberra to make their case meeting with Dan Tian, who happens to be their own federal member for the area of Wannan, and also the Minister for Trade, Tourism and Investment in the Morrison Government. Tian expressed his disappointment in the company's decision not to contract Keppel Prince and reached out to this. The Morrison Government should include local content requirements in every contract that it signs, AMWU Secretary Stephen Murphy said. In Wyala, there are concerns that Blue Scope Steel is in danger of closure with the collapse of the major lender Greensill Capital to the business GFG Alliance behind the concern. Blue Scope Steel is the major employer at Wyala. Although there are moves to cover the investment shortfall, an application was lodged in the New South Wales Supreme Court recently to wind up the operations of two companies, including One Steel Manufacturing, which runs the steel works, which employs more than 1,200 workers. The application has been made by Citibank. The move comes after the collapse of Greensill Capital. Greensill has been placed in the hands of administrators Grant Thornton after Global Wealth Manager Credit Suisse froze 
10 billion US dollars worth of investment funds that it relied on. Citibank filed the action on behalf of Credit Suisse and it follows a similar application by Citibank in London. In America, the drive to unionise the Bessemer Alabama Amazon facility under the Retail, Wholesale and Department Store Union, RWDSU, during April was defeated by a one-to-two vote. The union has set in motion a legal action citing Amazon applying undue pressure and intimidation of worker before the vote, including on-site voting in front of supervisors, mandatory anti-union lectures and systemic scrutiny of workers' social media pages. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. When two ships run by Qatari shipping company Aswan reached Australia without enough fuel and crew members on the brink of starving, it was only the latest episode in what is an international scandal. Just weeks earlier, the crew on another of Aswan trading and contracting ships were driven to hunger strike off the coast of Kuwait to raise awareness of their plight as unpaid and abandoned by the company. Ian Bray from the International Transport Federation spoke to me about the ships in Australia and the general situation for seafarers on the ships that the world relies on for international commerce. So those ships are still here. So the the one in Canberra, um, that's been here since the 6th of February um, and it's not likely to go anywhere in the near future. And the one up in um, Weeper, as I understand it, uh, was being investigated by Port State Control yesterday and I'm hearing that there was a a heap of problems on there. The company have tried to rectify some of the the breaches to uh, uh, the the deficiencies Um, and my understanding is those um, attempts to fix the deficiencies have been rejected by Port State Control um, on the basis that um, they haven't used man- uh, manufacturer specifications, so who knows? I understand both ships have been um, sent uh, supplies, so they've got food on board, which was um, a day-to-day prospect seven days ago. I understand the Movers 3 up in Weeper was uh, replenished with adequate amount of food to last a month. So that's where we're currently at at the moment. Well, one of the things that's so uh, amazing to a person like me who doesn't actually work on any of these kind of uh, ships or anything of this nature is that how how these ships have been left uh, with the crew, the workers on board, without food, without uh, proper sanitation. Um, It's a real uh, eye-opener. at, at how uh, uh, cut, uh, dangerous a, 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 a um, workplace as such as this can be. Well, it's like anything, uh, out of mind, out of sight. Uh, and the maritime industry, people, you know, know what a ship is. Uh, they know that they transport goods around uh, the world, but very few people delve beyond, um, you know, that basic understanding of shipping. It's largely, it is a, there is a dark side to shipping um, that the 
you know, the Australian community don't know nor understand. Um, and yet, in one sort of way, indirectly complicit to it because the demand, an ever-demanding consumer, demanding cheap prices, this is the price that's paid. An unregulated industry that abuses its crews to no end. Um, you're talking modern slavery here, the pinnacle of modern slavery, um, akin to, you know, some of those horror stories that were coming out of, um, you know, um, the Asia region recently. How, how, um, how did uh, the ITF discover that these two time bombs effectively were floating around in our waters? Well, the first one was um, detained by um, Port State Control, AMSA. Um, so we jumped onto that one straight away. Um, and then the other one was only by chance as well because the one going into Weaver was actually coming into a berth uh, and my understanding is it blew out of the shipping lane, the shipping channel, uh, and caused a bit of an incident. So they stopped it and sent it back out to anchor um, and then all was unfolding from there, you know. So, but look, the problem is too, you know, uh, we'll get onto it, I guess, but the resources required to hold an inspectorate, um, you know, or, or cover ships coming into Australia, for an effective um, um, inspectorate, you'd need to seriously ramp up the budget, um, you know, the federal government would, to uh, make sure that answer was, um, you know with the right equipment to um, go after more of these ships because I think they're only, um, you know, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, well, you know, just just understanding that the fact that there's no fuel on board, that the uh, which then means that uh, all the systems cannot be run, so that the it gets down to the fact that these are poor crew, who in some cases weren't even still on contract. Uh, I mean, it seems it beggars belief that you've got a company that is functioning so badly that in there was a was there was an incident earlier that not in Australia but in Kuwait where the uh, crew had to go on hunger strike because they were basically or just completely left in the lurch. Yeah, and they did that out of desperation because they, you know, out of frustration, the companies abandoned them, but they were completely frustrated by, you know, the lack of response by authorities over there and um, they needed to bring attention to their plight. Um, you know, you can imagine a ship being abandoned. They'd be scavenging fuel to run generators to uh, have things such as the basic things that uh, everybody takes for granted, like lights. Ships are very, very dark if there's no lights. Uh, and they become very, very dangerous if there's no lights. Um, heating or air conditioning, depending on what part of the world you're in. And then, obviously, food and power for refrigerating to keep the uh, the food, you know, um, uh, in an edible fashion. So all of these things become major, major challenges and obstacles for a crew um, if they don't have that necessary fuel. Now, the one in Port Kembla... Uh, the Merriam, um, that vessel, it was so bad in terms of uh, fuel, they had to hire a shoreside generator and crane it up to the ship, um, and it only had eight hours fuel in it, and the port authority had to go and 
take on bunkers, which is more fuel, um, to make sure the generator was going. But they'd been essentially without power. They'd lost their uh, what food was on board. Um, that, um, you know, that um, uh, went bad. Um, and there was no guarantee where it was all coming from. And again, the Port Authority had to step in, a bit of pressure from the IPF, but the Port Authority had to step in to, um, you know, make sure that there was adequate, adequate um, food on board. Uh, not to mention, no, this is, you know, you, you can imagine what it's like. You, you're sort of wondering where your next feed's coming from. You're sort of wondering, you know, are you going to get paid? You're in a foreign country. You don't know the laws. You're on a ship that nothing works. They were bucketing seawater up yeah. from the, the ocean uh, and pulling it up to the ship toilets. Very, very basic of hygiene um, when a ship goes into the state of disrepair. This kind of exposes... I mean, the ITF is on the side of the workers, and so you're constantly working for the betterment of uh, workers on these vessels internationally. Are there other systems that are in play that actually uh, deal with the owners and managers of ships, is there anything that allow, uh, that actually pulls them, the moneyed financial groups into gear, you know, like actually deal with their, this kind of behaviour? There is, but it's very, very slow um, and there is an element of risk on it. So for the ITF, for instance, if we were to go out and arrest the ship, um, we would have to take on all costs of that ship while it's been arrested <laughs> until people sort out what needs to be sorted out. And you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars here. So there are elements there, but they're almost unreachable, um, you know, for an organisation like ourselves. Um, there needs to be more consideration about what it means to breach compliance, particularly in relation to... Uh, human rights, such as, um, you know, food, hygiene and all of those kinds of things, um, there needs to be some empowerment of the legislation and therefore the inspectorate and the complicity of the legislation um, would have greater teeth to deal with it. But essentially, no. Uh, and also, too, you're dealing with, again, an unregulated uh, industry. So you're talking about companies that go and flag their vessels in... Uh, Flags of, under flags of convenience where, you know, they're tax havens, essentially. But also, too, they've got no regulatory regime um, that holds the ship owner to account on basic standards such as we're discussing today. It's, it's absolute zero. So these ship owners do whatever the bloody hell they like. You know, COVID's really exposed the capitalist system's weaknesses, but uh, I'll have to say what's happened in these two ships really exposes, uh, because because of uh, international trade is so dependent on ships, it really exposes the weaknesses of that system as well, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I, I look at it another... It certainly does, and I look at it another way as well. Um, what are the standards that we hold ourselves to as, as a community, you know? I mean, can you imagine um, a mother or a father out there with a son or daughter on in a workplace like we're describing today? They would be beside themselves if they knew that their children were working on this environment. 
against you in the world. And let alone be abandoned and no help, no, um, you know, guarantee that your kids even going to get sick. I, I was appalled and uh, I'm amazed. I was actually amazed that it was possible for this to be happening. And I also noted that uh, the in the in Cape York uh, ship that actually what was it uh, the um, the company the book the mining company actually uh, supply, uh, supplied uh, the uh, first round of food that cost about three thousand dollars to feed the uh, group uh, the crew, which is fascinating. Yeah, that's right. That's right, and, and it was the same down in Port Kembla. I, I wasn't the mining company down there, I don't believe. I think it was the Port Authority itself. Um, but, you know, this comes to the other point, uh, and probably one of the remedies um, to clean shipping up to some respect is, you know, the charter of the vessel, um, you know, uh, whether it be at the, you know, the, the production end or the, the loading end or the delivery end, the charter of the vessel should take some responsibility. Um, and, you know, if they're vetting their vessels pro- properly, uh, companies like Aswan would have a very limited uh, lifespan in terms of uh, trading around the globe. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. In South Australia, a war is being waged for the health of its citizens. The SA Ambulance Employees Association has been dealing with the daily consequences of not enough beds and services at public hospitals, with ambulances delayed outside hospitals with patients unable to be admitted. To push the issue, the SAAEA has taken the extraordinary step of refusing to charge patients if they have not arrived at the scene of the original call within the prescribed time frame set out by the service delivery model for ambulance arrivals. I spoke to a South Australian health worker on his view on what is happening. Look, the situation in South Australia is... Um, is it's a crisis point. Um, we're, we're, we're having people dying um, in ambulances because... They're queuing up outside our major hospitals and they can't actually get in. Um, and we haven't been impacted massively by COVID. Um, this is just because of chronic underfunding uh, across the sector um, and in a situation where they're trying to cut funding. It's at breaking point and the paramedics are finally saying, well, enough's enough. We have to try and take action because we can't do our jobs. Um, because uh, there's just such chronic um, shortages of beds um, and uh, it's a complete disaster from a human point of view. You're you're a social worker, so you would see the outcomes. Uh, Well, I I work in a a disability sector and a lot of the people that we work with rely on um, the healthcare systems, including uh, the use of of ambulances and, and emergency health, including mental health. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we, I see this um, in, in our work but um, and obviously talk to the paramedics who have been talking about this for a number of years, but it just seems like in the last year it's become critical. Uh, and, and, and as we've said, there's two el- older people that have died um, and that's not good enough. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what your age is, whether you're abled or disabled, um, you should be able to access a public health bed 
once you get into an ambulance pretty quickly. Um, and uh, there's scenes in Adelaide of sometimes up to 30 ambulances sitting um, there waiting. There was somebody that waited in the emergency department for four days at the Royal Adelaide Hospital. They did not get seen for four days. Um, now, this is just criminal um, and is something that... In Adelaide, there seems like there's a lot of money, billions of dollars that get spent on faulty submarines and new frigates and the defence industry, yet when it comes to getting into an emergency department, well, it's a lottery. Um, and thankfully, the paramedics are actually taking a stand, although a lot are saying that they can't continue to, to work. They've, they're signed up to save lives and they're in a system that is failing. Um, and so it was great to see the protest on Thursday, um, but I think that we need to... It's going to be a long campaign um, to turn that around. Uh, uh, it, uh, I yeah. hear that um, there's other unions uh, beginning to uh, sh show public support. Yeah, look, the un like, it's a popular issue. Um, I think that it's very easy for unions and union officials in particular to say, yeah, we support and we turn up. But I think that really we need rank and file union support. We need, you know, we need industrial action, actually. We need to be saying to the South Australian government well, if you don't put the funds in and turn this crisis around immediately, how powerful would it be if nurses, doctors, teachers and others said, we're, we're going on strike until this happens because public health is a human right. It shouldn't be an optional extra. But at the moment, it really does seem like um, you're dicing with death. Are they um, hoping to privatise? Is that what they want to do? There's been an ongoing issue in South Australia saying that the public health system uh, doesn't meet budgetary requirements. And so you've, we've actually had um, it, like private administrators in there trying to cut budgets. Um, so this is neoliberalism 101. Ooh, the health department here is over budget by two million and we need to cut that back. And I think that when we mean cut back, we mean not actually be open for when people turn up. So um, I think it is just more funding and also cutting out this language that, we, that there's too much money being spent on health, which has been the narrative. Um, and so the fact that we've got private administrators in there trying to cut funding, yet at the same time, there's dozens of ambulances often ramping outside Flinders, outside the, um, the RA, outside our major hospitals there. Um, really, it's, it's, it's quite insane from a human point of view. Um, so good on the paramedics for, for taking that stand. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the show, we are podcast on 3cr.org.au, on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to drop us a line, email us on sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And until next week, remember, wherever you are, wherever you work, there is a union for you. And stick together. <laughs>